fun song, right? Um, we, uh, my kids, back in January, asked if we could jump in the lake because it was like a day where it was 74, 75 degrees. And I was being mature and wise. I said, no, it's too early to jump in the lake. We should wait at least until April to jump in the lake. April was Friday. So Friday, me and the kids jumped in the lake, you know, and it was, it was pretty wild. Like, it was pretty cold. Um, the guy that let us jump off his dock was just sitting there watching, laughing at us. When we got out of the water, he said, that was quick. I said, that was long enough, you know, long enough. Um, loved that. Uh, just after last service, had the chance to talk to another um, young lady that uh, has accepted Christ and believes and wants to be baptized in the water. Um, we know and trust that um, we know that in the water itself, there's no power in the water, but it's that symbolism of saying, no, I'm being baptized into the truth of who God is and what he has done as we trust in Jesus together. Absolutely wonderful. A um, couple of fun things that have uh, just never, never happened to me before. First, um, this last week, my uh, wife uh, is a teacher at the high school, and my laptop was in her car when I traditionally um, write a sermon during the week. So I went old school. I just got the piece of paper. I didn't have paper with lines on it. I just had like printer paper. And I pulled out three or four sheets. And I started writing away, brought me back to like 1999. It was so good. I was just having a great time. Um, and, and then I said it there. And I was like, man, this is wonderful. Sermon's done. We're ready for a weekend. My youngest is turning six today. Like he turned six today. So all kinds of fun stuff going on this afternoon. Just at peace, knowing that the sermon was done and sitting on my desk waiting for church on Sunday. Um, and then my kids came to me yesterday and said, hey, um, so the dog got some of your papers off of your desk, and this is all that's left of it right here, y'all. This is it. I don't know if that's the, the Lord telling me to keep it short because it's nice outside or what, but my dog literally ate my sermon this week. I didn't, she consumed the word. I'm hoping it's good for her, but um, we didn't even yell or anything, but that's all, that's all we got of the sermon. So anyway, I, I did retype a little bit last night, so we'll, we'll see how this one goes. Um, a few years ago, um, my oldest, who is 10 now, um, was probably just two or three years old. We lived on the west side of Newton County uh, near Brown Bridge and Salem Road. If you know where that is, there's a Kroger shopping center over there. We would always go there to do our grocery shopping, to get our Kroger points at the gas station, to get Chinese food, and to visit the CVS pharmacy that was on the corner because they had a red box machine right out front. When those, anybody ever used one of those? That was a good time, right? So we would rent the red box. On one particular day, it was just me and my oldest, who again was two or three at the time, we went to return or pick up a red box, and then went in the store to get one of the mile-long sheets of receipts, you know, that they print out at the end, but also to buy a couple of things that he needed, just a regular routine day. As we go up to the line, there's a guy that's probably 20 years old working with a CVS badge and two ladies right behind us. And as we're standing there, this wasn't prompted, out of nowhere, my little person next to me said very loudly, hey, to me. Hey, are you my real daddy? <laughs> you want to talk about some shift in the mood? Like the worker was reaching for a taser. The women behind him were like, who is this strange man with this little kid? I grabbed him and jumped in our van so fast. Not funny. No, not really. But he did ask a serious question in a moment that was really awkward, thinking that's not what I want to be asked around these people. Just in case you don't know, I am his real father, but different, different sermon altogether. Um, today, we are having a conversation about a man who asked some really good questions to Jesus himself. His name was Pilate. Um, if you're not familiar with the scripture, or you're new to the stuff or new to the story, 
Pilate was the Roman governor of the day in, in Jesus' time, right? So up until this point, the last few weeks in the sermons, we've been talking about Jesus in the last really few hours of his life. Like he's praying in the garden. His best friend Judas comes and betrays him, like straight stabs him in the back, sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. He goes before these chief priests whose whole job it was was to tell the world that the Messiah was coming and they were face-to-face with the Messiah and they didn't recognize it. His best, one of his best friends, Peter, just dipped out. We talked about that last week and was too scared pretty much to get too close. And today we're looking at a different guy. His name's Pilate, who's the Roman authority of this time. But he's not Jewish and he's not really believing the things that most of the people around him are believing. The Middle East wasn't the happiest of places to be if you were in authority back in the day because it wasn't very peaceful. Some things tend not to change. So he knew he had an assignment to keep the peace in this region, but these folks were crazy. So on this particular day, he has a face-to-face encounter with a man named Jesus, who as far as we know, he's never met before. Very likely he's heard some things about this guy because he's got a, I mean, kind of like a little revolution starting. All these followers are showing up. But all Pilate knows is that it's real tense. He's got a lot of voices telling him what he should do with the person standing in front of him. But I believe he had a real-life encounter with Jesus himself. And in those moments, he chose to ask him a number of questions that were very real, and I would say very raw and from the heart. Questions that were, could have been beneficial for his own heart and soul, but I believe are very beneficial for our hearts and our souls. So if you haven't asked yourself one of the questions that he asked today, I would invite you to do that today and in the coming weeks. Think about these things. Ask yourself, Lord, what am I in need of from the Lord? Just like Pilate was in need of some things from the Lord, although he didn't really understand it, all right? He's a powerful man, like an outsider looking in. By the time he sees Jesus, Jesus has already been bound. He's already begun to be beaten, right? So this is how we're getting the setup. So Pilate's on the scene. They get him out of his chamber, and he goes out to meet this guy. First verse, we're going to be flipping back and forth a few times. So if you want to flip back and forth, it's from Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. Matthew 27, 11. We're going to be in Matthew's gospel as well as John's gospel. If you don't know, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of those were written by someone who either knew Jesus directly or like Luke was one step removed. Like Luke worked with a guy named Paul. So these guys were getting this data firsthand. It was like firsthand accounts. Just like if you and I were to both go somewhere real fancy for lunch, like Dos Amigos, and we're both there and we have the same waiter or waitress and she asks your table, what was church like today? And you share a couple of things, ask my table, what was church like today? We share a couple of things. We're going to share the same general idea, but we're going to have different perspectives on what happened. That's what Matthew and John are going to be doing here. It's the same story, but they're each sharing a little bit of different detail in the story. All right, this is the first verse I want us to look at. Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. It says, now Jesus stood before the governor, the governor's Pilate, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you have said so. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. First question I want us to look at that Pilate asks is very simple. Are you the king? Pilate is seeing this guy for the first time. Jesus is a carpenter from a little bitty town called Nazareth. Doesn't have a whole lot of financial backing as far as we know. He's not rolling in on a lot of big stuff. So he's meeting Jesus for the first time and he asks him, are you really... Are you really the king of these Jews? He knows that the Jewish people are afraid that Jesus is trying to make himself king, but Pilate's trying to get an assessment because the Jews at this point couldn't kill somebody with their own authority. They had to convince the governor of the land to 
persecute him on their behalf. So they're trying to convince Pilate that Jesus was guilty. In John's account, Jesus asked Pilate, he says, are you saying this or are other people asking this question? Like, who's, who's asking if I am king? To me, it's a great question to start with. Are you the king for Pilate and for all of us? Why is this important? Y'all, Jesus wants to be king of all of our lives. Jesus answers Pilate, but he didn't answer the same question that was asked by the priest just a few verses before. Why is that? Does Jesus know Pilate's heart? Does he know that maybe he's wrestling? Does he know that Pilate's bringing something to the table that they weren't bringing to the table? Or is Jesus just taking it one step at a time? Are you the king? I would hope and pray that if you're in a church gathering this morning, if you're watching online this morning, that you could answer, yes, Jesus is the king of my life. But we all have to ask ourselves that same question, whether we've been in church since before we were born. We just started like one spoke, person I spoke to earlier today, six months ago. And hearing these stories for the first time, is Jesus the king of my life? We ask Christians, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? The word Savior means you have been saved from something. Jesus saved us from our sins. But the word Lord is kind of a Christian word, natural, that we use now. But in Jesus' day, the word Lord meant more of kingship, authority, the figurehead, the one that you are going to submit to and allow to make every decision. So we're going to ask ourselves, Lord, Jesus, are you... Are you king of my life? Is Jesus the king of your life? Is he the king over all of your life? Can you get sensitive just for a second? We might not like certain political figures or different people in our land at different seasons of life, but they still have authority, even if we don't like the authority that they have. When we say Jesus is king, we are allowing him to have authority over all of our life, even if we don't like it. What does that mean? Could it be that for some of us, Jesus is king of the Sunday morning routine from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., but he's not king on Tuesday afternoons or Friday nights? Could it be that Jesus is king when we're talking to one person at work, but when we start gossiping or slandering or doing something sinful to another person, we're saying, Jesus, you're not going to be king of this area of my life? Could it be that Jesus is king when we're watching a screen, listening to a daily devotional or the scripture being read over us? And then later, watching the same screen as we see things that are not of God and are doing harmful things in our minds and our hearts. Is Jesus the king over every area of our lives? He wants it all. He doesn't just want the good. He wants the bad and the ugly as well. A pastor friend of mine always says, Jesus will not bless any area of your life in which he is not first. God fights for first place in every area of our life. But Danny, my marriage is a mess. Tell the Lord about the marriage and ask him to be the king in your marriage. But Danny, being single is so hard right now. Ask the Lord for strength in that, whatever you're going through, and allow him to be the king if you're single. But Danny, it's been a long time since you've been in high school. It has. And I was reminded of that this morning. This wasn't in first service because I didn't know this. When I put this shirt on, first service, three or four people said, man, it's a good looking shirt. And I was lying a little bit of pride to enter into my life. I was like, I know. That's all I got. I, mean, I was like, okay. And some of y'all may have seen, don't look it up right now, but apparently there's some things going on like Instagram. It's called Preachers and Sneakers. I'm not dissing anybody. That's not how we roll. But apparently there's some preachers that wear seven, $800 sneakers. Just so you know, these are $29.99. <laughs> what brings me back down to earth is this gem of a fact. Afterwards, I was talking to a young man who's about to graduate college from the University of Georgia that plays the guitar on our stage every week. He says to me, man, I like that shirt. Where'd you get it? I said, no, I don't know, man. Probably somewhere fancy, you know. And then he said, no, really. 
where did you get that shirt? I got to figure out how to get back to the Bible in a little bit, but we got to chase this. I said, he said, really, where'd you get that shirt? I said, I don't know. I think when we started Greater Things 3 Initiative, we had a, that's what it was. So we had a yard sale and everybody brought a bunch of stuff and they sold it at the yard sale. And afterwards they let me, I guess, because I'm the pastor, go through some of the stuff. And this is one of, (laughs) this may have been one of the things that I grabbed. And he 22-year-old Terry College of Business almost graduate said to me, I know, that was my golf shirt in seventh grade. (laughs) What? I'm wearing the shirt of a seventh grade boy. What do you do with that, Jacob? Dad, come. We're going to hang out with his family next week just for fun. Like, we're going to do it. Anyways... Got to ask ourselves those tough questions. Is Jesus the king of every area of my life? He wants all of it. I've spent times in my life trying to fake it in front of the Lord, saying, Lord, I promise I'm okay in this area. But he loves me too much to take that lie as truth. And he loves you too much to take your lies as truth as well. Is he the king in every area of your life? In John's gospel, he says in John 18, verse 29, Pilate is doing this thing, y'all, where he goes outside to talk with the Jewish people because this is actually taking place in a time called Passover. It's been around since the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt when the Spirit of the Lord came through the land. And if the blood of the lamb wasn't over the door, you would lose your firstborn child. Does that sound familiar? Fast forward hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and you have Jesus at the time of Passover, The Jewish people, the chief priests, were really good at following the law. They knew everything right. They knew how to look the part. So they wouldn't actually enter all the way into Pilate's quarters because the scripture says in the Old Testament that during the Passover, their tradition was to not enter into a building that had a roof on top. So Pilate, once again, is going inside, talking to Jesus, and then going outside in the courtyard to talk to these folks who don't want to break the law as they're trying to crucify Jesus. He says here, he goes outside to these folks, open air area. Pilate goes outside to them, and this is in John, and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Pilate's good at his job. He's had probably by this point hundreds and hundreds of people crucified at his command. He's really good at being a judge, and he's really good at cutting through the thick. This is just Danny. I think that from early on, Pilate was realizing This is just a messy situation between a bunch of folks who don't know how to get along. So he's talking to Jesus and getting one thing. And he's going out and talking to all these people who really, really hate him. So he asks that simple question. What accusation do you bring against this man? Second question we want to ask ourselves today. What accusation are you bringing against Jesus himself? What accusation do you and I bring against Jesus? Why did Jesus do what he did? In John 3.16, it's a very popular verse. For God so loved the... There's a lot of people in the world. How many people? Does anybody know right now off the top of your head? Seven, eight billion. It's growing. There's a lot of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. We hear the word world and we think, ooh, I'm glad he died for the sins of the world, which is true, but you and I are members of that world. So to bring it home, to bring it in a little tighter, I want us to not just say, why did Jesus... Why did Jesus have to go through what he did? Why, do, why accusation? Well, the, the world is sinful. The world is fallen. 
Jesus had to die for the sins of the world. All those things are true. But I want you and me to think about why did he do it for me? Make it specific. Lord, what accusation does Danny Wayne Harold Jr. have against you doing what you did? Why did you do this for me? The older I get, the longer I'm a part of this Christian faith, the easier it is to start to think, whoo, this world is fallen and sinful and they need saving. Y'all, that is so true. But so do I. I need saving. I am sinful. I need to remind myself, Lord, what accusations am I bringing against you? Why this coming next two or three weeks when I commit a sin, I, in that moment, am accusing Jesus as being guilty of going to a cross, just like they did in the first century when they did it. What accusations are we bringing? Whose sins did he die for? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that includes me. So ask yourself that question. What accusation have you brought against Jesus? That's, we're like, that sounds heavy. I don't want to think through that. What does the old saying go? If you're the only person that lived on the world, Jesus would have still gone to the cross for you. You know, we got to make some of this stuff personal and specific. Jesus died for your sins and mine. That means the worst thing that you've ever done, I don't need to know it, and neither does Instagram or Twitter. But Jesus does because he's felt it. Hear this. He has seen it. He has experienced it. And he still chose to do it because of his love for me and for you. John goes on to say in John 18, 35, he's having this conversation. He comes back inside with Jesus. Right before this, he says, okay, it's okay, so you're a king. And Jesus is like, they're working through this stuff. After that, he says, wait, no, no, Jesus, am I a Jew? Your own nation and priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? That's in John 18, 35. What have you done? As I've read over this the last couple weeks, I think Pilate maybe is wrestling here. I don't know if he's wrestling spiritually or at least with the facts. Of why is this man about to be crucified on a cross? It doesn't make a lot of sense. What have you done to deserve what they are asking from you? Have you wrestled with this story yourself? Have you dug into it, asked the tough questions? In the Easter season, we, some of us have heard this story a lot. Some have heard it for 30, 40, 50 years. It can become routine. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. I never want it to become routine. Something that we just kind of go through the motions and say. So to ask ourselves another question. Lord, what, what have you done? Why did Jesus do what he did? I think Pilate was realizing this guy's innocent. Like This doesn't make a lot of sense. And for us as believers, a lay up prayer with just earlier in this little glass room out here to say, no, I believe that he really did die an innocent death for me and for you. What has Jesus done I would never want us to get sacrilegious or rude or anything with this, but I do think it's important to be specific. If you're struggling with what has the Lord done for me, y'all, you can ask him. Some of y'all have been through a hard week. Some of y'all are getting ready to go through an even harder week. Sometimes the left side of the paper, if you were to write all the things down that's filled with the hardships and the hurt and the pain and the struggle, can very easily get long. Sometimes go back to the elementary basics and say, okay, Lord, let me fold it in half and start writing all the good things on the other side. Lord, what have you done for me? Let me dwell on those things because the other list is getting a little too long right now. So I can say, Lord, thank you for my wife. That's good. What are you thankful for? Well, she's pretty, you know. Write it down. We like the same kind of restaurants. Write it down. You gave me a couple kids, like two of them a lot. You know, like, write them down. 
Like, write down, think through those things. Lord, what have you done? My prayer for you this morning before you walked into this room is that at some point this week, you would be overwhelmed with the goodness of God. Completely and utterly overwhelmed. I want you to be moved to tears. I don't cry. I'm praying it anyway. I want you to be pulling in the driveway at some point this week and think, Lord, look at what you've done. And I'm going to see if I think the Lord can do it. If you're willing to accept it. What has he done for you? Be specific in those. Why? Because we live in a world that's hard. We live in a world that wants us to think of all the things he hasn't done or he forgot to do or he was unable to do. No, he's able to do everything. He's done it all. He just wants our vision back. He wants to put the, the sight back, focus back on him. So ask yourself that question, what have you done, Lord? Matthew says in Matthew 27, Matthew 27, verses 13 to 14. Pilate's still having this conversation with Jesus. He says, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he, Jesus, gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. That's impressive. This is cool to me. The Savior of the universe, the Messiah and the teacher that I have chosen to follow was able to walk up to little kids and have little kids go, you're the coolest person I've ever met in my life. He was able to go up to people that were drunk and miserable in lots of things in life and meet them where they were and walk out of those places feeling as if they had truly been redeemed because they had been redeemed because they had met Jesus. And he's able to meet fishermen and talk to fishermen about fish and walk away and fishermen go, I ain't never heard a fishing treat like that before. That's pretty cool. And he's able to meet the governor of the land and have the governor of the land walk out of the room going, that's a dude right there. Like, who is this guy? Why? He was Jesus. When he walked into a room, people understood that something was different before he even spoke. Here, Pilate says to him, don't you hear what people are saying against you? But Jesus gave no answer. Fourth question I want us to ask ourselves this morning and this week is, do you hear what they are saying? That's what he asked them. You hear what other people are saying? And Jesus was silent. In John 16, Jesus having a conversation with Peter. People are starting to leave and figure out the ministry and trying to decide what to do. Peter says, man, Lord, some people are saying you're all kinds of stuff. Your Messiah, your teacher, your follower, your Lord. What does Jesus say to Peter? He says, I, I, who do you say that I am? Who am I to you, Peter? Peter says, you're everything. You're the Lord. Do you not hear what they are saying? I'm a fan of listening to some preachers. I don't even like to listen to myself. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a fan of devotion books. I'm a fan of Christian books. I'm a fan of having accountability groups. And I, fan, I am a fan of grandmothers pouring their faith and love into their grandchildren. But the most important thing we can do in our Christian walk is to ask us for ourselves, Lord, who are you to me and who am I to you? Our world is filled with a lot of background noise. All of which can be beneficial, but it can also be distracting. Sometimes I think we need to cut out some of the background noise and focus on who Jesus is to each of us. Who is Jesus to you? Danny, don't you hear what's going on in the world? I do hear what's going on in the world. It's a mess. And yet, Pilate was asking the same thing. Don't you hear what all these other people are saying? Who is Jesus to you? In John's gospel, John 18, verse 38. John 18, verse 38. Jesus and 
Pilate are having a conversation. I want to read these next these verses right before it. I didn't put it in John 18, 38. It says this. <clears throat> then Pilate said to him, so you're a king. They're having that conversation still. You say I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, Jesus says. And for this purpose I've come into the world. This is John um, 18, verse 37. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate's a smart guy. He has been trained in the best institutions of his day. Quite philosophical. He didn't believe, like many in our culture believe, that what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. As long as we are nice to each other, it's all going to be okay. But he had a whole other list of things that he followed. Y'all, this is a very important question for all of us to ask. What is truth? What is truth in your life? What is truth in my life? We live in a world that's called postmodern in theological circles, which means we do live in a world where you and I are being taught, our kids and grandkids are being taught, that truth is pretty relative. It really is more about what is good for you? What makes you feel okay? What makes me feel okay? I don't want to be offensive or step on anyone's toes as long as you're feeling good about what you believe. And as long as I'm feeling good about what I believe, it's all going to be okay. It sounds really good, but this is really difficult to say, probably really difficult to hear. It's just not in the Bible, okay? So if someone gets upset at me for that, you can just say, well, the preacher was quoting Jesus, because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And do those things all the time. We are called to be loving and patient and kind and gentle. You're called, I am called, to invite other people to your tables that do not agree with us, do not think like us, and do not want to live in the world like we want to live in the world. But Jesus still says crazy things like break bread, have a conversation, love well. But Jesus never backed down from saying, but I'm still truth. That's what happens in a world when what my truth says about your truth causes friction. I want us to all be on the same page and to say, no, but Jesus is truth. I'm still going to stand on this, love well, but not back down from it and say, Lord, because Jesus is truth, I want to build my life on these teachings. For we know as followers of Christ that truth has a name, and his name is Jesus. What is truth for you? I'd invite you to ask yourself that question. Talk to the Lord about that. Lord, what is true? What is eternal? What's always going to be? Pilate asked it. I think it's because he was beginning to realize, this is just Danny, that there's something different about this figure in front of him. That's why he walked out of the room greatly amazed. Going back to Matthew, just a couple more. Matthew 27, verses 17 to 23. Conversation continues. When they had gathered all the people outside, Pilate's trying to figure out how to work. You ever work through a mess? Anybody in charge of leading other people? And you're just like, y'all are crazy. Pilate's trying to figure that out right now. He goes out to a bunch of other people in the courtyard. He says, all right, y'all. Who do you want me to release? Because it's Passover time. It passed over. They always released one bad guy just as a, an appeasement to the Jewish people. Barabbas, all right, now I want you to know this. They didn't have like Jesus' mom up here who was a saint figure who was like sweet. Barabbas was prayer likely a murderer, really, really bad guy. Most people look at him and go, you're a bad guy. You know, I can tell it just by looking at you. Don't judge on the outside. That's Jesus' job, but just hear me. You would look at him and know. He has Barabbas up there. 
or Jesus, who is called the Christ. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Pilate's realizing, you know what, y'all are just trying to get this guy stuck. Besides, verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, this is Pilate sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him. For those that are married, you ever been doing something, your wife gets word to you and says, hey, I don't like what you're doing? That's always a fun thing to happen in the middle of a work day. That's what Pilate's going through. His wife gets word to him and says, hey, I don't know who this guy is. Don't have anything to do with this righteous man. I've suffered much, had a dream about him last night. I don't know what's going on in their household, but it's messy. And none of them are at peace about what's about to go down. Verse 20 says, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor said to them, which of these two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, so what do I do with this guy? Called the Christ. And they said, let him be crucified. And look at this question. Why? I don't know if he said it like that, but if I was saying it, it would have been like that. Like, why? What has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Next question, very simple, why? You ever had a little kid ask you that question? Why is the sky blue? Because God made it that way. Why is God like that? Because I love him. Who made God? I don't know. You ever just look at your kid and go, just go eat some candy. Like, just go, go somewhere. I don't know. I don't have all these answers. Why? 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 Asking, 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 asking. To me, in this question, when Pilate's asking why, Jesus has the opportunity to say, man, this is the gospel. Did it make sense for Jesus, the only perfect person to ever walk the face of the earth, to die? Nope. Did it make sense to release a criminal named Barabbas, who was a murderer, on his behalf? Absolutely not. Why would he do that? Hear this, please. Because he knew that one day, in the course of time, you and I would need to be released from the sins that we had committed, and he would take the punishment for each of us. It will be awesome to sit here and go, well, Barabbas was a mess, sinner. When all the while as I read this, it's as if the Lord has been saying, no, that was you. Jesus chose to be silent on your behalf and allow you to be released. Why? Pilate went outside to meet the Jews because they couldn't go inside. Pilate went inside to meet with Jesus. He went back outside to try and release Barabbas. He had Jesus flogged, which meant they beat him so bad, y'all. So bad. Pilate had a crown made out of thorns. They pushed it on Jesus' head. They struck him and they beat him. They put a purple robe on his back. And then Pilate went back out to the crowd with Jesus, who he has had flogged and beaten, dressed as a king. And he says, even after that, I find no fault in this guy. He became afraid because of what his wife said. And I think Pilate knew this is wrong. I'm taking part in something that's messed up. So he goes back inside and has a few more questions with Jesus, one-on-one. The next one's in John 19.9. John 19.9. After all that, he says, Pilate goes inside his headquarters, says to Jesus, what I usually start with when you're trying to meet somebody, like, so where are you from? Tell me about yourself. You know, where are you from? I don't think it was like that at all. He says, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. That question, where are you from, is an answer Jesus could have answered there. For some reason, he chose to be silent. Where was Jesus from? He was from heaven itself. Jesus is the only messianic figure in human history to claim to be from somewhere else before he showed up on the scene. 
the only one. He is the only messianic figure in human history who claimed to know his purpose here the whole time he was here and to never be caught in a lie or a mistake or a sin or refuted later. He's the only, hear this, he's the only messianic figure to claim to be without sin and all of his followers for 2,000 plus years continue to teach it. And he's the only messianic figure who said he knew where he was going and how he was going to get there. We've got to ask ourselves that same question. Where are you from? Scripture tells me that before I was knit together in my mother's womb, God was calling me by name. Why am I here? What's my purpose in this world that is a mess? Wars and rumors of wars and famines, heartache, hardship. Where am I going? We can answer those three questions. Y'all, it's a radical change. Pilate asked Jesus, man, where are you from? Why did he ask that? I think it's because he knew you're not like us. There's something different here. And yet Jesus chose to remain silent. Jesus knew where he was from. He knew why he was here. He knew where he was going. Do we know the same? The next verses had the last two questions. John 19, 10. Pilate says to him, this is where it gets kind of tense. You're not going to speak to me? I don't know if he said it like that. That's how I read it. Do you not know that I have authority to release you? And I have authority to crucify you. This first question he asks is, you're not going to speak to me. Just because Jesus isn't speaking doesn't mean he isn't at work. Just because your prayer hasn't been answered doesn't mean that the Lord hasn't heard your voice. There are some things that he's doing that he's not ready to show you yet because I don't believe you can handle what he's about to do and it's going to overwhelm you with goodness. But there are other times in our lives, as I try to identify with Pilate, where I am asking the question with the wrong motive. We've got to be careful not to fall into this trap. Lord, why aren't you speaking to me? Do you know who I am? You ever told the Lord that? You think the Lord's ever said, son, come out back for us. Let's go to the woodshed by Andy Griffith. Like, Lord, do you know that I need an answer by today? Lord, could you hurry up and tell me what I need to do right now? I don't know if you pray like that. Sometimes I have. i got to repent of it. Lord, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't know what I'm going through here. Why aren't you speaking? I don't have an answer. I don't. There have been times in waiting rooms and in hospital rooms and in funeral homes where I've prayed with families and said, Lord, please speak. And we have sat in the silence, and it has been agonizing. We just have to sit and trust in the Lord together. I don't have an answer for that. But I also know that there have been times in my life where Jesus has been silent because if he spoke, I would not have been prepared for the two by four that was coming my way when he gave me the answer that I deserved. What is the next question he asks as we close out? It says in John 19, 10, what authority, do you not know the authority that I have to release you or to crucify you? Have you ever asked the Lord in some way, do you know my authority, Lord? Do you know who I am? I'm a pastor. I'm a dad. I'm a Christian. I'm an American. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm a whatever. To be bold enough to say, Lord, let me tell you who I am and what I need from you in this moment. God, in all of his sovereignty, and this is about to be harsh, doesn't need you. But he loves me. He does love me. He's done everything in his power to gain access to us. But I have to be careful, church, to not begin to allow my head and my heart to move into a position of telling God when to move, what to say, and what to do. 
I don't know why Jesus was silent in this moment. It could have very well been that he was in so much pain, he was already saving his strength for the few words he had left on the cross. It could have been that he was thinking about you and me already in this moment and the fact that one day we would need him, so he needed to keep his mouth shut to prepare for what was about to happen. I've also wondered if it could have been, if he spoke, he might have said, send him. You know, isn't that fun? Like, just send the angels, Lord. Let's shut him up. I, don't, I know Jesus doesn't say shut up. That's a bad word. Don't say, he doesn't say that, but why was he silent? Could it be that some of us are having a hard time hearing from the Lord because we've assumed the position of power and authority in our own lives instead of yielding it to him? Maybe some of us need to sit a little bit longer in the silence and remind ourselves who he is and where we are with him. Do you know my authority? What I can do? It's ironic to me that Pilate used his short moments on earth to be the judge of the judge of all of eternity. Pilate sat on his throne for just a few years. And he judged a lot of people. He had a lot of people crucified, including Jesus. I would venture to say if it wasn't for Jesus, very few of us would know the name Pilate. But Pilate would go on to find another position in the government and would eventually pass away. And his throne, his judgment seat, was replaced by someone else. And yet what is Revelation chapter 20? Revelation chapter 20, we're almost done. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 12 say. Revelation 20, verses 11 to 12 says, Then I saw, this is John writing this, a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. In this passage, who's sitting on the throne? Jesus is. For all of eternity, he will be seated on his throne. But he remained silent when one of his children chose to tell him that they had authority to tell Jesus what to do in their little time on earth. What does that mean for me and for you? I believe that means that Jesus is strong enough to remain silent for some of us when we say, let me tell you what I'm going to do with my life. He's strong enough to go, go ahead and do it. One day you'll know. But on that day, it will be too late to acknowledge him as king. He says, acknowledge me now as the judge. Break the silence now. Because if not, you're going to miss a connection that's going to last for all of eternity. Scripture says that during this whole time, the preparations for Passover were taking place. Insane timing. What is that time? It was the time when the Passover lambs were being raised outside of Jerusalem in the town of Bethlehem and the fields around it were being gathered and sacrificed in the temple for the sins of the people. Innocent lamb's blood was being spread in the temple to cover the sins of the people. Ironic. What did John the Baptist say about Jesus as he was walking up to be baptized? Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. While the rest of the people are getting their little lambs ready to sacrifice in the temple, the great I Am, the Lamb, was preparing to go to the cross for all of us. To take away the sins of the world. I'll always remember Luke asking me if I was his real daddy. I'll always remember the looks on the faces of everybody around me when he asked that question. But even as a little kid, 
at that time. I'm really thankful he didn't ask the CVS employee, is that my dad? Because that, that guy didn't know. He didn't ask the two ladies standing behind us in line, hey, you think that's my dad? Do I look like him? He came to me, as simple and silly as it is, and asked me if I was his dad. And I was able naturally to say, yes, son, I am. We look just alike. But I can prove it. And I will prove it to you for the rest of my days. Who's answering your questions about Jesus? Go to other people. There's power in having accountability groups and Bible studies and relationship. But when's the last time you went to Jesus himself and asked him questions about who he was and what he's done? He is alive. He's walking and talking in heaven right now and through the Holy Spirit does the same thing for each of us. And he invites each of us to ask him those questions directly. And I promise you this, the answers he's ready to give will change our lives for all of eternity. Would you pray with me? Lord, today we are thankful. Lord, we are thankful for the questions that we are able to ask, for having a congregation and a church body that meets with us. Lord, we are thankful that you meet us where we are and you promise to always be with us. Lord, that story of Pilate and Jesus, is, it's a crazy one to me. As far as I know, I don't think Pilate ever truly believed. He ends up washing his hands of Jesus and saying, the blood of this guy ain't on me, so I don't have anything to do with him. But Lord, we know that we can't avoid that. So I pray right now for anybody who's been asking one of these questions or something else that's on their heart or their mind, that they would bring it straight to your throne of grace. Lord, through the Holy Spirit, meet us, please. Speak to us. Remind us who you are and what you've done. Give us not just the answers to these questions, but Lord, the definition of who we are and why we're here. Lord, I'm thankful that when Jesus was doing all of this, somehow you allowed me to be on his mind. All of us to be on his mind. And I will always believe, Lord, and always trust that in the most painful, the saddest, agonizing moments of Jesus' life, that still, to this very day, he would say to everyone hearing these words right now, it was worth it because of you. I was silent because of you. I took the hits, and I went to the cross because of you. Lord, that is love. And I want all of us to know how great your love is. So if there's anyone, Lord that has a question, they need somebody to pray about with them or somebody wants to know more about becoming a Christian or getting into the baptismal waters, just need somebody to talk to. Lord, we are a church. Every Sunday at this time, we'll, we'll open up the altar. They can come down. I'd be happy to talk and pray. So would other people as we trust in Jesus together. The greatest question we could ever ask is, Lord, do I know you as my Lord and Savior? If anyone here has never asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of their lives. Let today be the day that you do that. You can share it with me or someone else, but most importantly, you can share it with God. Talk to him right now in this moment. If you've never talked to him before, introduce yourself. If it's been a while, restart that relationship. Let him know that you are a sinner. So is everybody else here. 
Let them know that you believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried in the grave, and came back to life on the third day. Confess that to him. And trust him to save you from everything you can't save yourself from. Lord, we thank you. And we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.